With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 42nd episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I also strive to provide listeners worldwide with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and also to help you better protect your privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, Podtoppin, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And of course, subscribe to my show on Voice America Business Channel site so you will be notified just as soon as each new show is available. You know, I sincerely appreciate all of you who tune in, and I love to see people tuning in from all over the world. I got my October stats for the general locations of my listeners who are tuning in through my Voice America Business Channel website, and I saw that I now have listeners from just under 60 countries, and I also noticed a large number of new listeners from Yuli, Florida, here in the United States. So thank you for listening, Yuli, and also from around the world. And I've noticed that I have my greatest number of listeners with respect to specific cities outside of the U.S. in Heilongjiang, China and listeners there, please forgive me if I pronounced your city wrong, and Dublin, Ireland. So thank you. And also so many other places as well. You know, these numbers represent only the listeners who are coming to the show through my website, through the Voice America Business website, and not through all those apps that I previously mentioned. You know, someday I need to determine how to get the stats for them as well. And I really love visiting all of you via this show. And also when I then go out and check online to see more about your countries and your city. So thank you worldwide so much for tuning in. Now, if you are interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my radio show, or if you need help with information security or privacy, please get in touch with me. And thanks also for all your feedback and questions you're sending me. I really love getting all your messages. So please keep them coming on in. Now, my November Privacy Professor Tips message was published on October 30th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, please sign up for them. I've always provided them for free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. So for my tip this week, 
I'm going to do something a little bit different. It's more informational, but it is a tip. So as background, I'm a member of the United States National Institute of Standards and Technology, better known as NIST, Privacy Framework um, team, our working group team. Now, this isn't the same as the NIST Privacy Engineering Working Group or the NTIA Privacy Working Group, which are also doing activities. But I want to focus on the NIST Privacy Framework uh, Working Group. We had our first NIST Privacy Framework workshop in Austin, Texas last month in October. And I encourage all my listeners who want to stay up to date with what NIST is doing with the development of that privacy framework and to see all the related work products and documentation, I'm going to give you some websites and URLs that you can bookmark. So if you're interested in seeing a recording of that first workshop in Austin, Texas, you can go and find it at nist.gov slash news hyphen events slash events slash 2018 slash 10 slash kicking hyphen nist hyphen privacy hyphen framework hyphen workshop hyphen one whoo i know that's a long url you know if you listen to this recording if you listen back to it you'll be able to catch it all i'm sure now i had the great opportunity to moderate the third panel of that event where we discussed processes necessary to include within a privacy framework. Here's another one. The uh, NIST recently published a request for information or RFI, if you hear RFI, that's what it stands for, asking for input on the NIST privacy framework. Now you have until December 31st, 2018 at 5 p.m. Eastern time to provide input about what a privacy framework should have within it. So see more at the RFI landing page on the NIST website, which is nist.gov slash privacy hyphen framework slash RFI. Now, there will also be an RFI webinar on November 29th, 2018 at 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. Eastern time if you want to learn more and also if you want to be able to ask questions about it. You can also register for the webinar by going to that site, nist.gov slash privacy hyphen framework. You'll be able to find how to get to it. So here's my tip. If you want to stay up to date with what NIST is doing with development of the privacy framework, Follow all of these resources and sites. Now, do you want to participate and make your voice heard about the current RFI, the upcoming drafts related to the privacy framework, and so on? Then follow these sources and sites. And if you have further questions about the NIST Privacy Framework Project, there are contacts listed on those sites that I just gave you the URLs for. So you can get in touch with folks through them, or certainly you can send me an an email using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com, and I will either answer your question if I can, or I'll point you to someone who can. So today's show topic, I'm excited for this. It's another visit to another specific requirement within the EU General Data Protection Regulation, better known as GDPR, 
that went into effect this year, 2018, on May 25th. Now, GDPR has been in effect for almost six months now. And I've done three shows on GDPR so far this year, and I'm so happy to add my fourth to the GDPR series today. Now, if you want to see all of the past GDPR shows along with all my other shows, you can go and see those at the Voice America Business site or go to my website, privacyguidance.com slash radio.html. And I've listed all of my shows there on my uh, privacyguidance.com site within categories to make it easier to find certain types of shows. You can also do a search for Privacy Professor within those podcasting outlets that I mentioned earlier. So with regard to GDPR today, I'm focusing on a topic that many organizations are struggling with understanding. What are considered to be legitimate interests as a basis for legal processing under GDPR? Legitimate interest is discussed within GDPR in Recital 47. Now, just a portion of consideration stated within this recital indicates that, quote, the existence of a legitimate interest would need careful assessment, including whether a data subject can reasonably expect at the time and in the context of the collection of their personal data that processing for that purpose may take place, end quote. So context is very important when making related decisions about whether or not what you're doing is meaning compliance with GDPR. So what should organizations do with regard to careful assessment to determine whether or not a situation is indeed considered to be legitimate interest of the organization, which is the data controller, that's the term within GDPR that's used, data controller, to enable the organization, the data controller, to use personal data. Well, I'm excited to have two GDPR experts on the show today to discuss this specific GDPR topic of using legitimate interests as a lawful basis for processing under GDPR. Teresa Trester Falk is the Chief Global Privacy Strategist leading Nimity's Global Privacy Strategy. Now, Teresa is a thought leader in the privacy industry and helps identify the future needs of privacy professionals by engaging with customers, privacy and data protection regulators, key policy groups and think tanks, and other privacy thought leaders. Teresa has over 20 years experience in law and over 14 years as a global privacy professional. We also have Gabriella Zanfir Fortuna. She is EU Policy Council for the Future of Privacy Forum, or FPF, where she leads the work on European privacy law and policy and its impact on all focus areas of the FPF, including de-identification, artificial intelligence, mobility, ad tech, and education. Prior to moving to the U.S., Gabriella worked for the European Data Protection Supervisor in Brussels, being part of the team that advised the EU legislator on the GDPR during its legislative process. Gabriella dealt with both enforcement and policy matters 
and actively participated in the work of the Article 29 Working Party. You can see more about both Teresa and Gabriella in their bios that are posted on my Voice America business site in the information about this show. So, Teresa and Gabriella, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Delighted to be here. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here to talk about what, you know, can be a pretty complex topic. So I think it would help to start with maybe if one of you could please explain for our listeners. And again, we have a worldwide audience, uh, many of whom don't have a background in law. But um, can one of you maybe explain what GDPR generally means or intends when it requires that personal data be processed on the basis of legitimate interests? Yes, Rebecca, um, I will uh, take this one. Um, This is Gabriela here, and um, I just want first to say hello to all the listeners um, all over the world. So let's take um, a step back uh, when we are talking about uh, what the GDPR means by uh, processing data on the basis of legitimate interest. And uh, this is uh, necessary because um, it's very important to acknowledge that the um, European Union data protection law framework um, has as one of its essential requirements that any time personal data is processed. And by processed, we also uh, mean collection. So, um, you know, anytime when personal data is collected, there needs to be um, a justification for that collection. There needs to be something that uh, we call a lawful ground for processing, which technically means um, a justification. Um, There are six such justifications provided by the GDPR. um, And this is quite a um, distinct, a different situation than, um, let's say, um, the usual approach in in other systems, uh, and especially in the American system, where um, usually, at least at the level of collection of data, you know, collection is allowed, um, you don't need to justify collection um, as a rule, uh, but then rules start to apply for different types of uses of data. Well, the the paradigm in the GDPR is as such that whenever you are even collecting data, and then, of course, whenever you're processing them um, in any way, you need one of the six lawful grounds to apply. Um, consent is one of those lawful grounds, uh, mm-hmm. but is not. Um, it doesn't have, let's say, a privileged position um, in, in the GDPR system. But there's an entire discussion there, of course, um, about consent. But then, legitimate int- the legitimate interests of the controller, so of the organization that collects the data or processes the data, um, as well as the legitimate interests of the, a third party are um, another justification for processing and uh, a justification to allow lawful processing of personal data. Um, Now, exactly what is meant by legitimate interest? Well, we'll, we have the entire show to to talk about that. Um, But primarily, this ground recognizes that there are instances where um, you don't... well organizations don't need 
to go and ask each data subject before um, collecting the data, before processing their data, if they agree with such processing. But there are certain instances where such processing can take place if safeguards are put in place, if there is a, a balance between this interest, this legitimate interest of the controller of the organizations uh, and the rights and freedoms um, of individuals. So um, indeed, it is quite a contextual um, <laughs> type of uh, scenario, just as you pointed out, Rebecca. Oh, yes. And, and like you said, we'll be getting into some different scenarios. So I think that'll help for our listeners, too, um, to clarify what some of that means as well, along with your, your great explanation. So what if, you know, what if a data controller or data processor does not uh, process in what is considered to be legitimate interest? What kind of penalties can they face? Well, um, first of all, the, the, in general, not having a lawful ground, mm-hmm. um, be it consent uh, or in the alternative legitimate interest or necessity to enter a contract, which is one of the other lawful grounds allowed. Um, generally, this triggers the higher um, level of fines in the GDPR. Mm-hmm. Um, this is indeed one of the uh, core requirements uh, of the law. It has a, a specific uh, place in, in the law. And um, then depending on different, um, you know, different uh, mitigation uh, measures, the different mitigation factors that might be taken into account, the fines can vary very much. But as we know, the maximum for this higher level is um, the already famous 20 million euro or 4% mm-hmm. of the global annual uh, turnover. Yeah, that's that sounds huge. So um, it's it's only been in force for not quite six months yet. So have any data controllers or data processors been penalized yet for violating the legitimate interest requirements? This, uh, I'll pick up on that one, Rebecca. It's Teresa. And um, at, at this point, to our knowledge, no, there hasn't been a determination yet that um, is specific to legitimate interest. But uh, there have been a couple of things, and this may be an appropriate time to kind of piggyback off of what Gabriella was saying. Um, uh, I'm not sure if we mentioned a very detailed legitimate report that our two organizations put together, um, about 40 pages detailing legitimate interest. This is pre-GDPR. Um, but I took a look at our research database uh, at NIMITY to see what kind of guidance has come out since the GDPR to look at that question specifically. And there have been a couple of interesting things that I think might be interesting for our listeners. So, um, you know, as you pointed out in the introduction, Rebecca, the the law is 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 high level, right? You read some um, some uh, of the detail from the recitals, but again, it's very uh, it, it's it's high level to think about, but where we really get into some of the the interpretation is in the guidance from the regulators. And so, since the GDPR, there have been three regulators that have uh, provided more detailed guidance on how to put legitimacy into practice. And I I'd like to speak about those three a little bit because I think mm-hmm. that gives us some yeah practical context. So the first is uh, the UK ICO, and if uh, our listeners, if you haven't 
had a chance to look at the resources on the UK ICO site. It's very detailed, very comprehensive. Um, they're very good about putting out lots of practical guidance. And one is a 70-plus page document on legitimate interests. And wow. in that guide, yeah, it's super <laughs> useful. There's checklists and, and lots of detailed guidance. And the first thing they note is that, you know, legitimate interest is the most flexible basis for processing, but one shouldn't assume that it's always the most appropriate. Hmm. Um, then they go on to identify it, and Gabrielle started talking about this. You know, there's a balancing test. There's sort of three parts to um, analyzing whether or not on a practical level you can use legitimate interest as a lawful basis for processing. So I'm going to mention those three now because when we get mm -hmm. to talking about case studies and practical things later, we'll want to reference back to that. So the first step is identify whether you have a legitimate interest um, as an organization. The second is, and this one gets overlooked a lot, but it really comes out in the case law and, and our um, research document shows that, show whether the processing is necessary to achieve um, the purpose. And, and then the third part is you have to balance the legitimate interest against the individual's interest, uh, rights and freedoms. And, and Gabriella mentioned that. So again, the guidance doesn't um, provide all the detail, but it does get into you know some of that. But most importantly, the UK uh, the, the the ICO points out that the big differentiator um, post and pre GDPR is the requirement to document your legitimate interest assessment. So previously, I mean, before working at Nimity, I worked for large multinational organizations and. I can say that there was quite a bit of reticence about using legitimate interest because there's so much lack or so much, um, so little guidance. Mm. Uh, and although some organizations use it a lot, but now you can't just say you're using it. You mm -hmm. have to justify how you're using it and why you're using it. So they point out that, that the significance of documentation. So again, I'll just uh, reference that UKICO. The second um, DPA, the Spanish DPA, came out with some really specific guidance on the use of CCTV systems. Uh, so a few details from that guidance. Um, video surveillance is permitted generally where processing is necessary in the public interest, right? Safety of people, goods, facilities. But they really point out some of these counterbalancing safeguards, right? Data minimization will be important. Um, so there's some spaces that you might risk a disproportionate collection of personal data, like change rooms or locker rooms, employee rest areas. So thinking about minimizing data capture. And then they also reference, in addition to considering legitimate interests, in Spain, at least, there are very specific industry regulations that um, come into play, like sporting events and financial entities. And then finally, the uh, Finnish DPA also issued guidance. It's more or less the same. They call it their balancing test, a six-step balancing test. When you break it down, it really is, it all aligns with the three parts that we've been talking about. So there's those, um, well, there hasn't been a case that, you know, where someone's been penalized. There is this guidance. And there is one case that I would like to point to, though. It is a bit of a head scratcher. <laughs> and I wish we had a German attorney on the call. Um, I pre Gabrielle will bring a lot of depth as a European attorney, and she's brilliant at this, um, going deep into European law and sensibilities and thinking. I um, have always represented U.S. companies, so multinationals thinking about those, those practical impl implications. But the case I'm referencing is an administrative court decision, um, the Lundberg Administrative Court. And this uh, 
case gives us the first glimpse, if you will, on the application of the GDPR um, for administrative courts. And it was a legitimate interest case. I'll just speak to it briefly, but again, it's a head scratcher and the German literature is all over the board on it. But Mm -hmm. I'm highlighting it to say it's causing some challenges for those of us, you know, practicing. But um, in the in the lower courts, um, a plaintiff had argued uh, use of legitimate interest for CCTV monitoring around a gym and in a hotel room. Mm. And the lower court um, required the plaintiff to do modifications in a certain time frame. The the parties had settled most of the issues, but the the penalties. Um, and the co- pardon me, the costs and the court proceedings had not been settled. Mm. So bef- before the GDPR, so post GDPR, now the administrative court is reviewing the costs, court proceedings, you know, those matters. But essentially, the decision says, I mean, this is the way it's been interpreted: if a case has been settled, then Article Six One F, you know, under the GDPR, won't, you know, we won't review previous cases. But if it hasn't entirely been settled. Even if the merits were settled, now those those uh, matters of the merits can be reviewed under the GDPR. And because the uh, f- the implementing law in Germany for the GDPR was considered to be maybe a little excessive um, mm-hmm. in comparison to what the GDPR required, this is now kind of um, uh, it raised quite a bit of conversation about uh, the application of the GDPR. So. I'm going to leave it at that because it's a complex case, but it's worth following because it's the first one and the only one out there that it's kind of suggesting what the guidance might be on the application of the GDPR. Oh, that's a that's a great example. And also the timing is great, too, because right now it's time for a quick break (laughs) to hear. (laughs) Perfect timing. (laughs) Yes. So um, now we're going to take a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. I'm speaking today with Teresa Trester-Falk and Gabriella Zanfir-Fortuna about using legitimate interests as a lawful basis for processing under GDPR. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as provide topics, uh, suggestions for other shows using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my PrivacyGuidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, 
breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Simbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Simbus system. Visit Simbus360.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. I'm speaking today with Teresa Trester Falk and Gabriella Zanfir Fortuna about using legitimate interests as a lawful basis for processing under GDPR. So, you know, one of the things that I've had several uh, of my own clients ask about is uh, basically how do the GDPR legitimate interest requirements apply to law enforcement and government agencies or, or do they not? So I thought we might touch upon that just quickly. Um, sure. This, this is quite a complex question because it, ha- it has several um, aspects to it. But if we are looking into specifically what rules should law enforcement authorities um, follow and mm-hmm. if legitimate interest rules apply to law enforcement uh, authorities or government um, law enforcement authorities when they are processing data, the answer is that the GDPR does not apply to law enforcement authorities when they are processing data for their purposes. That's a different directive. That's mm-hmm. um, the law enforcement directive uh, that uh, was adopted the same day with the GDPR and that is currently supposed to already be transposed in all member states. And it is, um, as far as I know. Um, if we are asking about um, um, grounds to use to share data with law enforcement authorities that might ask uh, access to personal data that companies process for their own purposes, that's another discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, I would just uh, want to point out that there are exceptions um, from uh, complying with certain um, rights provided in the GDPR for the prevention, investigation, um, or prosecution of criminal offenses, for instance. And um, th- this, is, this is indeed um, uh, an uh, entirely different uh, discussion. Okay. Well, well, that's good to know because I think a lot of times people, when they think about the GDPR, they think it's kind of all-encompassing and, you know, covers everything. So it's good to, to know and for you to point out that there are other 
um, places that people should be looking for that. And and talking about just that is one uh, situation or aspect of GDPR. You know, what are organizations struggling with most when they're trying to meet the legitimate interest requirements of GDPR? I'll take that one, um, sort of thinking about conversations with hundreds of our clients. And I think what they're struggling with are items that will say we shouldn't struggle with quite as much. <laughs> and I think we're struggling because there was there was no clear guidance in the past and there was no uh, requirement to document um, your legitimate interest uh, use. And it's the documentation and the elements of it that are, are requiring or are causing, you know, uh, organizations to struggle a little bit. But again, I want to emphasize, I don't think you need to. So the first thing is, some are finding it difficult to actually pinpoint the legitimate interest. How well defined should it be? So when we think about that three-part test again, what's the legitimate interest? Is the processing necessary? And third part, the balancing test. I don't think we should overthink that. The mm-hmm. legitimate interest. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. If you look at the cases, um, it's, you know, a CCTV system to monitor safety on a dance floor. You know, it can be as simple as that. Uh, that's a, a legitimate interest. Mm-hmm. It's it's the other parts where you can get more detailed. Um, so the documentation, it, it has been a bit of a challenge. But again, when we get to looking at some actual cases, we can sort of walk through that and, and get a feel for how relatively straightforward it can be. Um, the balancing exercise, which is part of that legitimate interest assessment, is causing some challenges as well. But again, it's, you know, it's subjective. And at some point, like all difficult decisions, one has to, you know, make a decision. Mm -hmm. And then privacy notices. So just remembering that part of the transparency requirements in Article 13, 14 require you, if you are using legitimate interest as a lawful basis processing, that has to be uh, part of your notice. Well, and you know, those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I I think a lot of times people struggle, too, because when they're dealing with something brand new, like GDPR, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they have no history to look back upon to base their decisions on as examples. So, you know, I know that both of your organizations work together to create a, a resource, a publication called Processing Personal Data on the Basis of Legitimate Interest under the GDPR Practical Cases. So, you know, why why did you create that? Did it have to do with some of what we already talked about or, or what were some other goals with that? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. It, it was to address exactly what we talked about, that there's been little practical guidance um, that some companies, I think, have been reticent to use this basis, even though it's been a lawful basis since the directive. There's mm-hmm. been a dearth of real-world examples. Um, in many cases, in many instances, the the local um, guidance and cases are in local languages. And that makes it very difficult for practitioners who have multinational jurisdiction to easily access. And so, because of I mean, pairing up together the FPF with their great expertise and Nimity with our expertise and our tools, um, our research tool uh, summarizes all foreign documents into an English language. So it was that ability to pull together a lot, a volume of local, especially um, interpretations and case law that otherwise was hard to find. Um, But yeah, it was to really, in one place, 
there's so much guidance or documentation uh, articles out there describing what legitimate interest is, looking at some of the high-level cases, but there really hasn't been a compendium of 45 cases, and let's just mm-hmm. look at them all at once. So that was the idea, to bring a really practical tool to practitioners. Oh, well, I'm sure it'll be helpful for them when they're trying to, to decide what to do. And I know that uh, the Article 29 Working Party and the national DPAs, they adopted guidance on very specific processing activities and also the, the potential use of legitimate interest as grounds for um, their legitimization. Were you, were you surprised by any of the guidance that they gave to those specific processing activities or surprised by some of the specific activities that they chose? Not really surprised, um, I would say. And um, this is also because there is, um, I could even call it that there's sort of a a hunger, if you want, for um, guidance um, from um, supervisory authorities. Uh, so more or less, whenever we have the chance to look at uh, concrete guidance, uh, we will just take it as it is. Um, and um, to add to the examples uh, that Teresa um, mentioned earlier, um, there, there, there are indeed, so there's the Article 29 Working Party guidance uh, that was published some years ago um, when the Directive um, 95 was still in force. Um, however, we think that guidance is still relevant. Most of it is still re- relevant under the GDPR as well. But then there have been some specific guidance um, guidelines uh, published by uh, DPAs, by national DPAs, just as Teresa mentioned, the ICO guidance. Uh, but for instance, the Hungarian DPA um, also published um, guidance on um, employee data uh, and le- uh, legitimate interest. Um, the Spanish DPA has detailed guidance on using legitimate interests for financial services. So for instance, they identify um, a few uh, purposes that uh, can rely uh, on legitimate interests such as analysis of credit worthiness, uh, transfers of data between companies for prevention of fraud, uh, or um, ensuring network and information security. But then again, in this guidance, the Spanish DPA also um, highlights that there must be um, safeguards put in place for um, the financial institutions, financial services to uh, process data for these purposes without uh, asking for consent first or on um, any of the other lawful grounds other than legitimate interest. Well, and I'm wondering, all these other, you know, resources and guidance documents, I mean, how did you use those or did you use those to um, include within your publication that you created jointly? I mean, how did you use uh, specific cases within that new publication? Yeah, so we th- there was much to choose from, that's mm-hmm. for certain. We didn't cover every single um, document out there, but uh, we definitely wanted to include the regulator guidance. So Article 29 Working Party was significant and the local DPA guidance. Then um, we identified several European Court of Justice cases because it's sort of the highest level of um, of impact. 
and maybe the most significant. And then we gave a sampling uh, among local DPAs and local courts, uh, put a half and half of cases that were um, legitimatists were found to be lawful and where they were found to be unlawful. And the idea was, you know, could we see any trends over time? Does this help uh, help practitioners see specifically? You really do get a feel for legitimatists is being used widely and it's being considered widely. And um, so that was the idea. Let's see some regulator guidance. Let's look at the European Court of Justice cases that are significant. And then a broad sampling of local national uh DPAs and courts, both lawful and unlawful. And then we tried to be sort of industry broad as well. So not just focusing on one industry. Mm. There's a lot, you know, a lot of guidance around employee data, financial services, those really high risk areas, CCTV Mm -hmm. that involve privacy intrusion. But we tried to show some other instances as well. Um, You know, one that comes to mind is a school that wanted to collect data for purposes of vaccinations, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 there's a lot of breadth, as well as depth in the document. Oh, Oh, that sounds very, very useful. So when people are thinking about using your, your publication, let's say they're located or based in the United States, but they have customers or patients or clients or whatever uh, within the EU. So are these national cases, how relevant are they outside the jurisdiction of the DPAs and the Article 29 working party then? They are they are quite relevant. And um, one of the questions we dealt with when we published the report just before the GDPR entered into force uh, was um, whether it will still be relevant after the entry into force of the GDPR. And the answer is um, a, a resounding yes, because um, legitimate interest as a lawful ground was um, present in Directive 95, um, just as it is in the in the GDPR. There are no significant differences between um, the two provisions, the old and the new one. And then um, how courts interpret that um, provision and how courts apply that provision will still be relevant um, after um, the entry into force of the GDPR to the extent, of course, that the GDPR applies to uh, what the companies that are not established in the EU are doing with regard to processing personal data. Um, And then, um, because the concepts are so similar, um, you know, we expect it to remain relevant. Um, Perhaps what what, um, one of the nuances that have changed, um, and uh, Teresa already touched on on this, um, is this um, enhanced obligation for documenting compliance Mm -hmm. and for documenting the justification of using legitimate interest. So perhaps we will see some changes uh, with regard to this one. You know, I'd like to uh, walk through some scenarios, if I could, here, uh, as we start coming uh, closer to the end of the show. I've had a lot of questions about this from some of my clients and also from show listeners. And at a very high level, I think it might be helpful to demonstrate to our listeners, the thought process involved and the questions that should be asked, you know, data identified, data uses, and so on. So, um, you know, as I, I'm going to give you a, a scenario, and maybe if you can uh, explain some of the, the issues 
for the scenario, some unique issues, perhaps, and some issues that might not be covered by GDPR, but that many organizations might believe are issues and so on. So let's let's go with one that's very common. I have a lot of my clients are now building IoT or smart devices. And one of my clients built an IoT smart listening device for implementation in roadways. Um, and they want to use this worldwide. So they're, they're foreseeing using it in Europe as well. And they want to monitor and perform analysis and artificial intelligence to accomplish a really wide range of insights. Like they want to know, uh, determine traffic flows and associated busy, non-busy times. They want to identify structural problems within the roadways and the associated structures. They want to provide a means to get 911 type of help automatically. The devices are embedded within a wide range of roadway structures, so they're not obviously visible to the general public. And they're also collecting video and photo images of all those in the vicinity. And all of this is being archived for historical reference. And the creators are planning to sell this system of AI and devices to cities, counties, and state governments and law enforcement. So do they... Does this uh, device creator, what kind of legitimate processing issues should they be thinking about? So, <laughs> I know, <it's> a big <laughs> few. <laughs> There's just a few issues in there. Yeah. Um, Gabriella, do you, I think we kind of can do a one-two punch here, and, and Gabriella might start to identify sort of some of the issues. And then um, I'll, I, I'd like to sort of step back and think about about it from, okay, the operational point of view. How would I walk through this as a practitioner? So how, how sure. about you start, Gabrielle, and then I'll, I'll do put on my practitioner hat. Yes, this, this is uh, one uh, big bite uh, to chew, but uh, <laughs> let's, um, let's start from uh, the, um, the fact that there is no a priori uh, prohibition of using uh, legitimate interest for this type of processing. So, in theory, uh, for any type of processing that um, you know, a controller is proposing, um, legitimate interest can be used, with the exception of <laughs> like email marketing and what falls under um, the e-privacy directive. This is mm. another discussion. But for the time being, talking about where the GDPR applies, legitimate interest can be uh, theoretically used. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need consent. But to use legitimate interest, you have to go through this entire analysis. First of all, identify a very specific interest um, that that processing aims at. Um, this interest, based on guidance from Article 29 Working Party, has to be specific enough to allow the balancing test. So, for example, just saying public interest would not suffice. So um, this legitimate interest has to um, be specific uh, to allow um, a real assessment. And then um, there needs to be a very clear picture of exactly what data is captured and exactly what happens to that data. Uh, is this large-scale processing? Uh, do we have um, sensitive data involved, you know? 
um, at all, or maybe not. But this must be part of the analysis, what type of data is, uh, is actually used, because this will help us identify whether all of this data is necessary for the legitimate interest pursued. Um, is it all relevant for the processing? Do we need um, all uh, license plates, for example? Mm. Um, it, can we uh, hash the license plate um, if, um, I don't know, well, you were talking about uh, sound recording here, but I was thinking mm -hmm. of, about image recording, but th this, uh, these are the type of um, questions that must be asked for the necessity part. And then in the balancing test part, the last uh, step, we need to um, think about what are the risks to the rights of the persons. Um, we need to think about whether these persons that uh, will be subject to uh, this type of monitoring uh, have a sort of legitimate expectation that they will be subjected to it. Uh, we need to think whether there is a kind of relationship between the data subjects, these individuals, and um, the controller. Uh, so that, um, and then, you know, looking at how the rights are impacted against uh, the specific legitimate interest pursued and whether it makes sense to have such large-scale processing or not. Um, now, just a very interesting nuance here um, that I would like to point out to is that we might find ourselves in a very, very complex situation where if a city buys this processing, this type of, um, you know, uh, technology, uh, then uh, the city is actually... Uh, the controller. Mm -hmm. uh, there might be a question of joint controllership depending on how uh, the uh, data flows um, work um, and who, who decides the means of processing and how much control does the municipality have. And then as a local authority, as a public authority under the GDPR, so for authorities in the European Union at least, uh, they will not be able to rely on legitimate interests because the GDPR specifically excludes um, public authorities from the possibility to rely on legitimate interests because they have a similar provision, which is under letter E of uh, Article 6.1, that um, it, uh, allows them to process data um, as part of their task in the public interest. And then there are some conditions attached to that. Mm. <laughs> and I guess, yeah, if you have maybe a minute to add to that too, Teresa. I, I chose a, a complex one, but I wanted a unique yeah. one. I wanted a unique one. <laughs> it is unique. And I think that Gabrielle did a good job at the end yeah. of identifying like all of the other issues that might come into play. So I would say, uh, let's put all those aside, right? The, mm -hmm. the controller process, joint controller, maybe there's even cross-border issues. Is there a public, like those are other legal determinations. So let's assume all of those don't come into play. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just try to simplify the scenario a little bit. I, and we're not going to come up with a perfect answer here. But I think what I want to point out is if, if it were me and I were still operating in, you know, role as um, chief privacy officer and business team came to me with this scenario, I'd really push to the team and say, okay, let's think about that end game, right? If if we are called upon to justify this decision, you know, what what do we have to show for it? And so it, it really is walking through those steps that mm -hmm. that um, Gabrielle went through. Like, let's think about the legitimate interest. Can we clearly identify what that is? 
let's think about is it necessary to do it this way and um, other considerations that come into players considering whether there's children or vulnerable groups involved like are we capturing those kind of images um, is the processing elective but not business critical I mean all those kinds of things come into the necessary part um, but it, you know our cases show that the more safeguards that are in place, the more the balance may tip in favor of the controller in some circumstances. So to that end, I want to just mention that there's a lot of new innovative companies out there developing really cool technology solutions to address some of the challenges. So we're talking about devices that are capturing images and photo images and and I was I was saying to one of my colleagues the other day, wouldn't it be cool if there was like some device that somehow could like totally de-identify those images before they even landed in, you know, on a server somewhere. And mm -hmm. somewhere in Sweden, some company is trying to develop that technology. So I think, you know, knowing that there's technological safeguards that can be put in place, there'll be more and more technological solutions to some of these challenges as well. Um, uh, so I'll just leave it at that. It is a very complex, uh, very complex, many layers, many details scenario that you provided, but but it still shouldn't shy an organization away from considering how they might use legitimate interests. As Gabrielle pointed out, there's no carte blanche, you can't use it. So let's, let's walk through that scenario. Yeah, and you know, we're almost to the very end here, but in the last minute that we have available for you, you know, we haven't told our listeners where to get your publication. <laughs> so I think that's a key takeaway, too, that we want to leave with our listeners. So maybe if you can take sure. a minute to say where they can get your publication, um, that would be helpful. Yes, it is available for free download on nimity.com. Uh, slash resources, uh, where you have several free resources for download, but um, you will find it. You will find it there. Great. And uh, Gabriella, do you have any pointers uh, that you want to leave our listeners with? Um, just have in mind that using legitimate interest is perfectly fine under the GDPR. However, it is very, very, very contextual and it needs a lot of thought and it really needs um, sound accountability uh, to, to be able to um, use it in a fair way uh, mm -hmm. towards the data subjects, towards the persons. Great, great. Well, thank you so much. We could have talked for, I think, another four or five hours on this. It's very interesting. <laughs> but I do appreciate you being on today. And I think, too, another point that I heard both of you saying many times, document, document. Yes. So we need to make sure that everybody documents. So so thank you for being on the show today. Um, Thanks. So Thank today, you. Yeah, thanks. So today I've been speaking with Teresa Trester-Falk and also Gabriella Zanfir-Fortuna about using legitimate interest as a, loss, uh, as a lawful basis for processing under GDPR. Um, if any of my listeners has a topic to suggest, just let me know. Send me an email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. Please tune into the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will always be able to listen to all of the recordings. And um, in the week ahead, I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities and go to your job, do your daily work, or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it is secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, 
Ask those that you do business with and work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.